I'm Eric. I'm Lucas. And we are the Modern Agronomists. We are putting a modern spin on an old industry. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, for today's second podcast, we got the three amigos at the round table. We've got myself, Lucas, and our guest, Chris Reichert. A uh, little background here. Chris is currently an employee for Country Visions. He farms on the side and raises beef animals. It's kind of a family ordeal. His wife, Jenny, who works for Country Visions as well, is a partner with him on the farm. And uh, we're really just here to talk about how their farm works, how it relates to his job, and maybe how his job makes farming easier for him. Yeah, so let's start off. Let's give a little background, Chris. Let's start off where you're from right now or where you grew up maybe if you're just in the same area and we'll go from there yeah so i have lived uh in the plymouth area uh all my life grew up kind of specifically out towards johnsonville wisconsin brats uh, brats home mm. of the johnsonville sausage and so chris you grew up near the plymouth went to high school in plymouth then you entered college where that was at uw platteville correct yeah i went to uw platteville starting in 2012 and graduated in 2015. Okay. So from there, did you have any internships or jobs that got you into the egg? Yeah. So I, I did intern a couple summers with a local cooperative, not Country Visions. And then from there, I got hired on with Kettle Lakes in 2015. And in 2017 is when we merged with Country Visions. Nice. Let's go over what, what else do you do besides work? farm what are some of your hobbies some of your interests yeah so I really enjoy pretty much anything outdoors fishing hunting uh, snowmobiling four-wheeling anything anything that gets us outside pretty much right up my alley that's definitely some fun stuff to do so you like the outdoors and you started working for Country Visions or Kettle Lakes Country Visions we had the merger and now you're currently farming your own land Um, tell us a little bit about your farm Maybe your soil type, maybe how many acres you're running, your beef. Just give us a little background. Yeah, so I guess family is a pretty integral part of our operation. So Jenny and myself, uh, we crop 360 acres and then run uh, 30 cow-calf pairs. We do basically a calf-to-finish type of operation where we're raising out most of our young stock to freezer beef, which we currently sell not only out of our freezer um, on our farm, but also halves, quarters, holes to consumers within the community. And then we also work together with my uncle who crops uh, around 400 acres. We kind of share equipment, labor, just working together day in and day out on the daily operations of the farm. What, what kind of beef are you raising? Uh, so we've got really a mixed bag. We have you know, Angus, Shorthorn, Simmentals, that we kind of tailor those breeds to some of our show cattle um, and genetic side of it. So we do a fair amount of flushing and then sell, you know, a few calves every year for county fairs, replacement heifers, that type of stuff. And then the commercial cows, most of those calves go towards our freezer beef side of the business. What what crops are you mainly? So we... We rotate wheat, alfalfa, corn, soybeans. One of the, the big things, I guess, that we've gotten into the last couple of years is 
looking into more of the cover crops, no-tilling, looking a lot at the conservation side of, you know, the farming and how can we improve the soil, how can we create more diversity out there, get more out of every acre. You know, we, we try to plant some cover crops to graze the cows on each fall when the pastures start to get a little thin this time of the year. And then from there, we transition them onto the corn stalks where they typically will graze till December, January, depending on how much snow we get or, or what sure. the weather's like. What have you had good luck with as far as cover going in? We've done just oats in the past, and then we've just done a kind of like a mob grazing type scenario where we move the fence ahead about 10, 15 feet every day, and that seems to work work pretty pretty good. Last year we had 30 cows on 15 acres, and we got over a month of feet off of that. Really? Speaking of the cows, so how did it all? How did you get started with with the beef? So a little, I guess, backstory on my family's farming operation. We've always we had always milked cows from the early 40s on. In I believe it was 2000, my uncle sold the cows and transitioned into raising uh, dairy beef. Did that for a few years, and then kind of got out of raising steers and had bought a few Hereford cows and then did mostly cash grain at that time. And that was, you know, kind of when I started getting into the 4-H stuff. Started out actually showing pigs for nine years and then I kind of wanted to try something different. We we always had beef cattle. We never really did anything with them. So I decided I was going to show a steer uh, my junior year of high school. Pretty much fell in love with showing cattle and I was fortunate enough that I had a lot of uh, good people that took me to a lot of shows. I uh, was able to travel and learn a lot from them, and it just kind of blossomed from there. That's a really cool story. Really cool story. So you raise corn, beans, alfalfa, and wheat. How do you feel your job working at Country Visions, how do you feel that's helped your operation on the cropping side? Oh, that's a very good question. I think the biggest thing that it's helped us with on the cropping side is just knowing what's going on in the field every day. Whether you might not see it on your farm, but you know you might go out looking at another customer's crops and, oh, you see this disease or this pest, it's like, oh, I, I need to go home and look at that in my fields. Where maybe, you know, if you weren't out there every day looking at everything, it might kind of be just a side thought of, oh, maybe I should go out there today, but you might not. What kind of ground are we, I mean, so you're on Plymouth, your farm is, right? So what kind of soils, what kind of ground are you looking at? We've got quite a wide variety of soils through by us. So we farm everything from heavy clay to basically sandy river bottom ground. It really creates a lot of diversity and a lot of different management techniques. You know, we've got some ground along the river bottom that's sandy that pretty much every year you can plant the first week of May. And that's, it's dry, it's nice, it's heats up, you know, crops take off. And then you got some of our heavy clays that are always two weeks behind. You know, you got to be patient. You got to do it right because the first time you work the clay wet, you're pretty much right. done for the whole year. And then we've got some in between that I would call loamy very nice ground that kind of works in between there so you're managing everything a little I mean nothing is all in one right it's a little bit of everything yep so 
with working at the co-op and obviously being in front of Lunch Products, are you you're going after, like on your good ground, you really pushing, trying to push yields, trying different products, new stuff? What what would you say are some of the, some of the I guess, pushing the envelope type stuff you're trying on some, some acres? Yeah, so I guess this last year, uh, 2019, you know, I think everyone was in the same boat. We had a ton of prevent plant. We only ended up planting uh, less than 50% of our crops on our farm. I mean, I know in the county here we had 20,000 acres of prevent plant. So it did give us a kind of a unique opportunity. On 30 acres of our ground, we were able to get in some wheat uh, very early last fall. Uh, so we ended up planting on September 20th. Got a great stand. It was off to a really nice start. And it tillered in the fall. So we looked at doing Phil Needham's uh, management on these two fields to see kind of could we push the envelope and what could we do. So we, we ended up making uh, five trips across the field, two, two passes of fungicide, so one at the herbicide timing, one at flag leaf uh, heading, and then we did three trips of fertilizer. So we streamer barred on some nitrogen, we spun some on, and then we had put some on um, at green up. We probably had, I would say, very nice looking wheat, I think it disappointed us a little bit on the yield expectation. We ended up averaging 101 bushel. I think our goal was a little bit more of that 125 to 130. Yep. Uh, but there was spots in the field when we were combining, it was running 140, 145. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then the the bright side of it, the straw yielded uh, over two ton an acre. So uh, it, it, yeah, it was huge, which... There was great demand for this year, and great. that was nice. And then, you know, going back to, you know, some of the, the corn and, and beans like you had originally asked, I think one of the things, being an agronomist and then being a farmer, you're always wanting to try new things and push that envelope. So, for example, this year we planted some beans on April 26th, which for our area is probably typically three weeks ahead of normal. And this year, I would say we got very lucky. When we planted, the ground was great. It was 55 degrees, right around 60. And a week later, we had 20 degree nights. And I was really worried that those beans were going to freeze off. Right now, they look really, really good. It's The true test with beans is always when you run them through the combine and take them across the scale because they can look really good and not yield either. Look good and look look terrible and got a big crop. Right, right. But I think that's one of the the other challenges that we run into a lot more in this part of the state and even country than some of the other bean-producing areas is white mold. And it seems like that is our, our biggest detriment to yield you know, we always have really nice-looking beans, and then white mold right. comes in and takes 30 bushel out of them. Yep. So we haven't seen any yet this year. I've seen one field across my travels, planted narrow rows very early, and that's all I've seen so far. What are some of the things you're doing to be proactive against white mold on your farm? Yeah, so we've really been working with some various fungicides. This year we did... Uh, two different applications. We did an R1 application of Endura on about half our acres. And then, unfortunately, we wanted to do them all, but we ended up 
getting a bunch of rain, not being able to get in the field. So our second, I guess, application on the rest of those acres was done at R3 with Miravis Neo. At this time, I guess I can't really say there's any difference. But one of the other things we did that we tried um, to pair along with that fungicide, we've put in K-Fuel, liquid potassium um, product, to hopefully try and push some of that additional yield. It'll be interesting to see. The past couple of years that we've used fungicide, I think we were a little bit off on the timing, and we did still see some white mold come through. But I think we were a lot better on our timing this year. So it, it'll be be interesting to see. I think these are probably some of the best beans that we've grown. Yeah, I think uh, you brought up the K-Fuel, and I think you've brought up a really interesting product. Uh, I feel like the foliar market or or liquid-based fertilizers has really become a stable for a lot of people. I, I, I do think there's some advantages and some clear disadvantages, but uh, I think people really trying to push yield are – definitely looking at the micros and uh, these liquid fertilizers a lot more heavily. I, it's definitely in our trade area. I, I don't know what you guys have seen, but right. I, well, a lot of popularity that. there. Right. I mean, we've pulled a lot of tissue tests this year, and I don't know I don't know if it's because we've got more yield potential than what we've had in the past or what it is, but you know, I felt we put together a pretty balanced and pretty strong fertility program up front. And it, judging by where we're at with our tissue tests, it feels like we've almost been behind all year. But the the hard part with that is, too, is how much can you put on in a market where we're at? Right, right. Um, you know, and I guess I don't, you know, I, I've been farming myself for four years now, Jenny and I, and... I guess I kind of feel I'm a little bit of a newbie, you know. I'm trying a lot of different things, but I guess I don't have a lot of previous years' work to go off of. So it seems like every year is maybe an improvement, but, you know, there's really no baseline, I guess you could say. So going into that, so what is your biggest challenge, you think, for yourself in the farm? I think the biggest challenge is getting into farming when we did. You know, we've gotten – we started – the first 30 acres I rented was in 2016, so that was kind of right on the tail end of the, you know, high price commodities, I guess you could say. You know, and we've been in that kind of downward cycle ever since. As much as that is a challenge to us, I think it's also something that is a benefit because I look at if we can be profitable and grow good crops in times like this, I think that shows that there's good times ahead also, you know, and I think guys that have been in the business for a lot longer have seen those cycles of up and down and it's going to come back eventually, but it's got to weather the storm. And I think it makes a better business person also because you, you know, you look at everything down to the penny and where can I market this crop to make the most profit or, you know, that type of stuff. So getting, you know, Based on the four crops you're growing, and with margins being as tight tight as they are, what do you think your biggest money maker is on your farm? I mean, what, what could, and and even furthermore, maybe what application do you feel on your farm as far as wheat or soybeans or corn, and in these high management situations, 
what application do you really feel is driving home that yield? Where do you think you're getting the best bang for your buck? I would say right now our most profitable crop is alfalfa. Fortunately for us, we've had very little winter kill, and we've grown some phenomenal alfalfa yields. Um, we actually just finished up our third crop. Uh, I shouldn't say that. We're finishing baling today. But we've, uh, on 100 acres of alfalfa this year, um, we've made 723 round bales. So it's it's been really good to us, and I think... I think kind of going back to the, the liquid fertilizer scenario and you're talking, you know, what's the best application, you know, in these high management scenarios, I really think it's having your balanced nutrition up front with P and K. If you don't, if you don't have the fertility to sustain the crop of your macronutrients, I don't feel that it's worth the money in the micros, you know. I think some guys have maybe struggled a little bit to keep fertilizing in these times, and, and I get it. But one thing we haven't done is back off our fertilizer, and, and I think it's really showed in the performance of the crops. It seems like a, a big upfront cost, and I kind of got a funny story uh, to go along with this. So I'd put together our crop plan this spring, and – Jenny always likes to kind of look through things and see what we're doing and what we're spending and that type of stuff. And I'd put the the crop plan in front of her and she's like, uh, we're going to spend that much money. <laughs> and I said, yeah, that's kind of what I'd like to do. And, and she was kind of heckling me a little bit over it. And then Josh, our manager here, he kind of comes over and he's looking through it and he's like, Ooh, that is a lot. And then he kind of had a funny comment and it, and it's true, you know, and I think this is a unique thing about being an agronomist and farming. He kind of said to Jenny, he goes, well, he's like, what do you think a grower would say to him if he had all this planned out and they asked him, well, what did you do that on your farm? And he tells him, no, I took it out because it's too expensive. Well, you think they're going to want to buy that from me? Yeah. That's a good point. You know, so it, it's kind of neat from that aspect. You know, I, I work with a fair amount of growers in the area by us. And I get hit that a lot of, you know, well, did you do that on your farm? Yeah, I did. Well, I, I want to do that on mine then, you know, and that is a cool part of being an agronomist and farming. You kind of get to see firsthand what it does on your farm and then hopefully helping out another grower to hopefully produce a bumper crop too. Absolutely. It builds a baseline and a comfort level. I mean, how can you sell a product to somebody else if you're not using it yourself or or believe in it? And right. I think uh majority of these growers don't make a pass across a field unless they believe in it or mm -hmm. you convince them that it's necessary. Right. And uh, I think one important line that you said is you have not backed off on the fertilizer. And, you know, Country Visions is in a unique unique market where we have some really premium products that we carry, Micro Essentials, Mez, Aspire. some really great products that we've had a lot of success with that mm -hmm. uh, I say we can contribute a lot of our growers' success to those products. Right, right. And I know coming from originally the Kettle Lake side to Country Visions and acquiring some of those products, you know, I would say we're using all of them on our farm, but... Um, it just makes a lot of sense when you look at like Aspire 
on your alfalfa, you know, that even distribution of boron, it, to me, it's a no-brainer. Right, yeah. I mean, when you're putting seven pounds of boron in a 200-pound mix, right? where do you think all those prills are ending up? Yeah. I'm sure not evenly spaced. No. <laughs> so what's been some of the best advice you have received, whether you want to relate it to your job here at Country Visions or in farming? Hmm. I think... I think probably some of the best advice I've gotten is really just always stay true to your word. You know, whether that's as an agronomist, as a farmer, anything really in life. You know, it, you need people to trust you. And it, whether you're, you're selling a crop, you know, off your field or selling someone a product, if they don't trust you, it's not going to go very far. Right. Um, you know, I... And I think, too, that goes back to even the, the cattle part of it. You know, we look to sell, you know, a product that a lot of consumers are eating. I want them to know that we're selling a, a quality, healthy product that, you know, is going to feed their family and not just crap. Um, I've got a question for you. And if, if you could convince a farmer to make one pass across this field, let's go broad spectrum, all crops, one pass that you feel maybe is – avoided, negated, or overlooked, what pass do you think where where we have the most opportunity to gain on a crop, whether it being fungicide, uh, fertilizer? I guess there's a whole whole bunch of them. I think fungicide can be used on all crops. It has a, a lot of benefits from not only disease control but plant health aspects. I think the biggest thing that, that scares a lot of growers and sometimes even myself is is that upfront cost of looking at something and going oh boy that's going to take 20 bushels to pay for but the other thing you got to look at too is okay let's just say uh, you know you've got the potential for 200 bushel corn out there and that's a profitable level do you really want to let those 20 bushels go that are going to drop you below that profitability mark it's not always about creating more yield with a fungicide or a pass or a fertilizer or insecticide, but preserving that yield potential that's out there and maximizing that. And I think that's a, a big thing. And I think another thing that you got to know what your break even is right. so that you can make those in-season management decisions. I think there's a huge gap with the break even in the farming world. Uh, and it, you know, it sounds kind of cutthroat, but if you don't know your bottom line, there's some big decisions that you could make that could greatly affect that. And if you have no idea where you're at, mm -hmm. how, how could you make, you know, say yes to doing a fungicide? But so I think knowing where you're at, number one, economics wise is a huge, huge advantage on the farm. I mean, I'm sure there's years that you could say beans drop below 750 and you're like, I can't do it. I just can't sure. do it. Or corn's $2 and, right. you know. But you also brought up another good point is preserving yield. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of fungicides, I think the plant performance part of that has really come on in you know in the last couple of years with Syngenta's Miravis Neo and uh, this new product, mm -hmm. Veltima. I think there's going to be some really high plant performance. Right there but uh just preserving what you have in the field you've made a year-long investment 
And if you skip that one application, everything you've done prior to that point could mean nothing. Right. So I, I think you brought up a really good point there. Yeah. And I guess, you know, kind of going back to the the fungicide and the management, and you had talked a little bit about pushing yields and that type of stuff. One of the things that I think we use a lot of on our farm, especially on the corn side, is looking at the hybrids and how they respond to population, fungicide, different management, you know, techniques. Nitrogen is another big one. And I think we tailor a lot of our plan to a specific field. You know, what hybrid are we planting where? Uh, We didn't plant the same hybrid on one field this year just because each field is different. Each field had a little bit different rotation history. So I think that's really where we fine-tune that management and trying to push yields on some fields and maybe some that eh, this one is just going to be what it's going to be. You kind of know that yield potential is there. And so working and getting some of this information at your fingertips probably helps make that a lot easier to it, make those decisions. It does, yep. It definitely, it definitely helps having that in front of me every day. But then I also think about the growers I work with and, okay, I also have that knowledge not only for myself but to give out to my growers. Sure. We've talked about that a lot doing all your business in one place. Some people don't like to do that, but it also allows you to tie all the different aspects together from start to finish. You know, I look at a lot of times when, you know, I put together for a plan for a grower that maybe, you know, I'm not selling them as seed. I don't know how that hybrid responds to nitrogen or population or fungicide. You know, so some of those, I can take a guess and try and manage it the best I can in season, but I don't know if I'm always always doing the best job I really can. And that's, I guess that's part of the challenge of our job also. Yeah, at that point, it's a numbers game. We're shooting for X amount of units of nitrogen, and that's the right. best you can do. And there's nothing else you yep. can do, I, I think. One question I have for you is, one, what is the hottest selling item out of your freezers for beef? <laughs> Ribeyes. Okay. By far. That'd be my pick. It, it, it it kind of, the other thing that we've found with selling beef out of our freezer, it seems like one month people want one or like all ribeyes. And then the next month, so like we'll get all, all kinds of ribeyes or you get this certain cut. And then the next month they want something completely different. It's like, hey, yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. But uh, yeah, ribeyes are, are pretty popular. Well. I definitely, the word is out in the countryside. I was fortunate enough to go fishing a couple of weeks ago with a gentleman, and they were talking about buying steaks from this kid named Christopher. And they're talking on and on and on, and I'm like, man, I, is this Chris Reichert we're talking about here? So they continue talking, and I cut and I say, what's this guy's last name? Well, it's Christopher Reichert. I said, well, I work with Chris Reichert, so that's pretty cool. So I thought that was a really interesting, uh, interesting story. So good job to you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Chris, for coming in today and uh, discussing some of your operation and some of your views, and uh, we appreciate it. Yeah. yeah, happy to join you guys. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.